welcome back to the Pastel Podcast. This is episode five, I believe, and I am here with my friend Drew. Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Drew, Drew Gannon, and I am a non-binary photographer based in New York. Um, I'm 21 and I'm about to graduate, so yeah. <laughs> Very exciting. Yes. So today's episode, we're going to be talking about gender and just how fluid and broad and complicated and maybe even unnecessary all of these conversations around it and emphasis around it has been. And so before we dive into what I wanted to discuss, which is more about gender uh, abolition as like a construct, just getting rid of the significance we place on it as a society altogether, I think it would be really beneficial to hear from you, Drew, about your relationship with gender, because it is very different from mine uh, as a non-binary person. Yeah, so I think, like, the main um, kind of, like, thing when I think about, like, gender as a whole is that I think that, for me personally, it never played a crucial part into, like, my life. Like, I didn't go through life thinking oh, um, like I'm doing this specifically as a specific gender. And so with that being said, I don't think it was until like I moved to New York and like saw so many different like people and cultures and, you know, everything that I really put it into perspective in like my own life. So like in terms of that, I actually started to think about gender less as a... uh, like I guess construct as we all talk about but more as something to like discover so for me I like don't have any strong ties to like a particular pronoun um and that doesn't mean that you know I think at times I prefer certain people and certain individuals to use more gender neutral pronouns only strictly because of like um, ignorance simply if they are ignorant to uh, alternate forms quote unquote of pronouns like you know they them if they're not really understanding of that it's for me that's when I prefer to use it it's more to put a point that you know, you won't just call me whatever you want. But at the same time, if like my friend says like, oh, he does this, he does that, I'm not gonna like freak out or anything because it's it's normal to me. Mm-hmm. But I think that overall, I don't really have a strong feeling about pronouns. I think that they're important for sure. Mm-hmm. But for me personally, they don't have importance yeah yeah I think people choose to use they them or non-binary pronouns or even like neo pronouns for a variety of reasons like people don't do it because people may or may not do it because of gender dysphoria because they disagree with what they've been raised on with maybe just a general apathy like some people like I don't really care you can use any or you can only use they them um Mm -hmm. and I think it's interesting because depending on how you were perceived growing up and depending on where you lived, even depending on the fact that, you know, you're white and American, like it can be a privilege or it cannot be a privilege to get to choose and to not care. Um, in my case, being in like an Indian woman, gender was like forced upon me and I didn't get a choice. I was very much told like what it means to be a lady, to be a woman, what was masculine, what was feminine. So like fluidity for me 
wasn't really something I could explore until New York. I feel like New York is like a really great yeah. place to come out and explore um, gender, queerness, sexuality, all of that. Something that I'm wondering if if you've noticed that I also wanted to touch on is kind of the over-policing of gender expression within the queer community. Mm. Um, this, this happened a few times in college, but and definitely throughout my time in New York, because I feel like even the queer community itself kind of um, polices and defines its own members. Like people have referred to me as like non-binary, mm. pan, bi, gender non-conforming, androgynous, a lot of different things. But I'm like, I never said any of that. I never said I used yeah. them pronouns. I never made any of those affirmations for myself. Um, and mm-hmm. I wonder if you feel like maybe, I don't know who like the specific members of the community that you surround yourself with are, but like, do you feel, in what ways do you feel like gender has been kind of harmful in how much we talk about it for the queer community? Like, in what ways is it just, like, not helpful to to make everything so gendered? Um, I feel that is a really good question because I think it's so difficult to, like, gear that when, like, like you were saying about how, like, in the queer community, there's so many, like, um, I guess, boundaries that a lot of people put into, like, the community, especially in regards to like, you know, trans, especially like trans women, for Mm -hmm. sure, about how like, you know, they not only have um, like ignorance and bigotry coming from like straight cis women Mm -hmm. who like are threatened by the fact that, you know, they're not quote unquote a real woman in their opinion, but then you also have like the same people in, a, in the queer community who don't like believe in the same things. So it's, it's hard. Um, I don't know. I think like within my uh, community, like we're all non-binary and we all have like the same uh, feelings towards like gender and like gender uh, pronouns, I guess. Um, we all understand that they are important and for, you know, certain individuals. However, to me, I think that people who are cis are turning into like, uh, like almost like cis apologists where they are actively trying so hard to like properly you know used pronouns for someone and it's like I don't think that they're taking the time to understand what these pronouns actually mean so in that sense I I don't know I think maybe that's just me being like pessimistic about the situation but I feel like that's the way in which it's harming gender it's it's not really opening the conversation about like what it means to be non-binary and the fact that you don't have to look a certain way to be gender non-conforming I feel like I don't know sometimes like I think of like for example when I am being told what someone else's pronouns are who like I have already discussed and talked about with about their pronouns like I don't 
you know, purposely, I'm not out here purposely misgendering people. Right. However, I've been like corrected, like on how I refer to someone when like they don't actually know anything about the situation. So for me, it's like hard to understand it because I want to believe that people are valuing you know gender in terms of that they are taking the time to understand exactly what someone feels about their gender but I don't know for me I I feel like the pronouns and I don't know yeah pronouns are super tricky because I feel like you're right when you said that it hasn't just because we're talking about pronouns more and we're creating more visibility for gender fluidity and expression doesn't mean that people have become more open-minded if anything it's just given them more to debate about like they're like Mm -hmm. oh so we can identify as anything now so Harry Styles can wear a dress and he's no longer a manly man and I'm like I'm confused because if 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 it's biology or gender expression, Harry Styles wearing a dress doesn't become feminine. He's still a manly man because of biology or whatever. But you're just now saying with that argument that if he wears a dress, he is now changing his gender expression. And I'm like, so you do acknowledge it's fluid. You do acknowledge that it can be a physical appearance and not a biological label. And because there's so much to disagree about, I just get so frustrated because I'm like, what's the point of gender? Because it's the only thing I've ever seen it do is divide and police people it's created Mm. laws and policies who can own a home who has rights who gets to vote who gets to get a job the pay gap all of it's so arbitrary and so discriminatory and i'm like what is the point of gender then if it if it's only been used as a tool of oppression and then by Mm. saying that i know that gender is a real thing for for non-binary and trans folks and non-conforming folks because like they very much do want to get gender affirming surgery and gender does matter to them and their life has been impacted through the lens of of gender and then when i say things like gender is fake gender doesn't matter i always have to wonder like am i being disrespectful or am i invalidating people who who that does matter to in like a very positive way and i just get stuck there because you, you mentioned something about, like, people might correct you and try to, like, outwoke you on someone's pronouns without even yeah. knowing this person uses she, they, or he, they, or whatever. Um, and they're like, you shouldn't say that. And it's almost like cis people are trying to, like, outwoke other members of the queer community. And I think about, yeah. I don't know um, if you can maybe speak to some experiences in, in maybe college or work where I have seen people who are cis, um, like very much respond physically or like you can see on their face that they're reacting to queer people in the room and they're like mm-hmm. they wouldn't say this if there wasn't a visibly queer person in the room or someone that they're not assuming is is trans or, yeah. queer or whatever but they're like oh well, yeah so typically we don't do this but how about we all go around and say our pronouns and when you do that you think you're being mindful but you're actively making someone kind of sort of come out in a way they're like nobody i don't know trans people who like constantly want their transness highlighted i'm pretty sure that all of us just want to exist and do our jobs and go to school yeah so what, have there been instances like that that you've observed where you just see that that pronoun thing being highlighted in ways that actually aren't helpful yeah i have a really really great story about that <laughs> it actually happened like this year like mm-hmm. going into you know, like the first class of a semester, you know what I mean? Like it was mm-hmm. so bizarre, but, um, and so what happened is that, um, 
the way this class was being taught was that uh, it was very like constructive. So uh, for the beginning, there was a um, like survey or assignment or whatever that was put up, but she um, shared it like on Zoom when we were doing our class so that we could like change the wording of things if we needed to so that they were more like uh, specific or like we could answer them better basically. And so one of the questions was about pronouns and it was the whole idea of what are your preferred pronouns versus what are your pronouns? So. I actually, so it was me and another person on the video were like, I think we should change it to like just like pronouns. We don't need that word preferred. And someone actually like came out of the woodworks off of camera and was like, I think that is so stupid and why would you say that like you're wasting our time and it was just so bizarre like it was so random out of the blue and it was simply we weren't saying that we were like completely hurt or upset by this we were simply suggesting a change for a word and literally just remove a single word because the word preferred like promotes this idea that you are you could prefer not to use my pronouns Mm -hmm. you could prefer to use someone else's pronouns like it it offers that debate and that mindset that my pronouns are up for debate and Mm -hmm. that you are able to decide whether or not you use my pronouns. And it was literally received very negatively. I'm always intrigued by the fact that like, it's not that gender non-conforming people and queer people are trying to make life harder by asking Mm -hmm. you to remove a word. Like if anything, you probably said it pretty diplomatically and wanted to move on. But then it's like cis and straight people who are always like, oh my God, do we have to do this? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if if you're agreeing that gender actually isn't that big of a deal, then it shouldn't mean anything to you that someone's just removing one word because it isn't yeah. optional. And it, and it also brings up the concept of like dead naming because there's a difference between a nickname and a dead name. If oh I said God. that my preferred name is Billy, that's what I tell my professors and my work my workplace people. You can call me by my birth name. That's because I use Billy as a nickname and Billy is a name that is preferred. It's different Mm -hmm. from my pronouns, which are fixed and unmovable until I say so. But if I, if I, you know, removed that name because I'm non-binary or because I'm trans or because I don't identify with that name and the trauma that it carries from my birth certificate, that's Mm -hmm. dead naming. And I feel like preferred implies you can misgender me. You can dead name me too. Um, yeah, And I, I would like to hear your thoughts on, and I, you've defined this for people, like both of our social media yeah. to educate people on identity and on gender. So um, yeah. what are your thoughts on maybe people who are just not understanding how harmful oh. dead naming can be? God, all of these are so, such recent topics. For me. <laughs> um, but specifically on dead naming, I think that a lot of people don't understand that like, I sometimes am forced to use my dead name. Like I have to on like legal documents 
and you know my financial aid everything school related is almost like my legal name it has to be and most recently like i literally had to i was originally going to do like a small business through like you know paypal business so you have to have like you know your legal name on there Mm -hmm. because mine previously wasn't and so like i had to switch it to my you know dead name and someone who uh usually sends me money uh basically was like oh well I guess I won't send money to like a dead person because they didn't understand that it's like not just that I don't like that name that I don't go by that name it's like that is not my name Mm -hmm. my name is DRU Drew not Andrew not anything else and so um I think that a lot of times people think that it's preferred that you don't use that name as opposed to like no like that is just not my name mm-hmm. and, and like the experiences that you may have had when you were called by a name that wasn't yours like that a lot of times people who are removing that name and just from conversations I've had with non-binary and trans folks is that like I didn't get to choose what that person went through and mm-hmm. I was wearing like a mask and it was very traumatic and I feel like I didn't know who I was and so like when you when you come into the name that you do use like Drew or Billy or whatever like that's who you actually are that's authentic and that's the version of you that's healing and actually like having this second adolescence that most of the time happens when you're like 18 to early 20s mm-hmm. because whoever you were up until you were independent or left your hometown or childhood home um wasn't real and was like yeah. very mentally draining to wear that costume and put on that performance Mm -hmm. of a character that you no longer identify as and never wanted to identify as. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much as that like, please just don't call me that. It's like, it can be very mentally jarring to hear that name and to be called by that name. Yeah, for sure. And it's just really interesting, especially like dead names in particular. I think that most of the time, in my personal opinion, they are usually dead names because they aren't, like you said, an accurate reflection of who you are, you know, today. And I think for me personally, my name felt, I mean, I know I didn't change it that much, but it felt like too formal, too masculine, too manly for me. And because of that, that's exactly the reason why I chose to like, you know, almost in a way reinvent myself because it didn't feel like me. I got to a point where it was like that name just wasn't, I like my birth name, I haven't been called since like I was like two years old. So like mm-hmm. that has been done and gone, but you know, it's still isn't me so I think that being able to choose I guess your name is uh, another powerful thing that like especially being non-binary has like being non-binary being like no like this is my name as opposed to I mean you can be non-binary and go by your legal name too there's no you know there's no difference in that I just think that people don't understand the power in like choosing a new name for yourself if you choose to you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and just like respecting that like no one's 
no one's expecting you to like grasp it immediately but like correct yourself like stop apologizing and stop saying like sorry i'm getting used to like the the change you made because that's inconvenient for me just like do your best and like continue to improve and just affirm and acknowledge people for who they are um oppositely i feel like sometimes people need to be given the space and the pace to reach their understanding of gender on their own i think sometimes mm -hmm. i feel a little bit outside of the queer community because like I do date mostly men and like I'm a cis woman who uses she her pronouns and so many conversations I've had is like why don't you use they them because you you come across pretty androgynous and like I'm in my relationships with women I like take on more of like a heteronormative masculine role and I'm like I'm not trying to emulate straightness or heteronormativity but <laughs> if I was to ever reach the conclusion that I don't want to identify as that anymore or that label doesn't fit me anymore like, I want to be able to get there on my own. And, like, my mm -hmm. whole life has been very much experienced through the lens of being an Indian woman and an American woman. And those are very gendered cultures. And, like, I need the space to, if I want to use they, them pronouns, I don't want queer people telling me that I should be. Like, I should get there on my mm -hmm. own. Um, yeah. And I, th I think one of the last things that I want to ask you is, like, what if, let's say someone can't get to New York or get out of their hometown and like they're 18 or they're 25 or whatever and they they're exploring gender without the resources of a community or a bigger city um or maybe even access to college and like a, a class or a professor what mm -hmm. what resources or what steps do you think a young person who's very very confused or kind of debating gender as a construct themselves what can they do like someone who's like I don't have what Drew and Billy have right now. Like, where do I begin? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that is a great question because I think that growing up, I never, I never actually found the answer, you know, growing up where I was living. However, I think now being, you know, a young adult and kind of grown more into identity, I think that for me... I think that the easiest thing that I could say to someone who doesn't know exactly, you know, maybe what's going on with themselves or they're trying to figure it out without a community would be that just do as much research as possible. Like literally what I do is I literally type random words into Google and whatever pops up, it's whatever pops up. And I think that the more time that you spend like investing in understanding what exactly like you're looking for so like if it's about gender you can literally just search and search and search and go on you know deep dives of what different genders there are there's so many different options out there but when it comes to like i think community-based uh practices if you don't have any resources I think that um, unfortunately I think as of right now there are some social media platforms that have proven to provide a sense of community um, however it is a, a give and take in terms of social media in general so I feel like while it's not a uh, solid or concrete way to find a sense of community there is like a potential to do that obviously i think that right now it's very very difficult for a lot of people to do that given 
that we are inside all the time or most of the time or we're away from friends, family, and loved ones. So I think that, you know, it's a tricky question for right now, but I think that the the Mm -hmm. use of technology and the use of the internet is a very powerful resource to have, whether it be via social media or just simply a search engine. I think that there's so much information out there about things that people exactly like me, exactly like you have probably asked before, you know? And I think that a lot of times, like, queer and non-binary people think that, you know, nobody has asked this question about their identity ever before, you know what I mean? Right. And, like, you know, I never thought in my head, like, someone is having a similar experience but the reality is is that a lot of people have similar experiences with this you know gender dysphoria yeah I think yeah sometimes it's kind of like I don't have people but I have media and I have you you use the term deep dive like sometimes you can just like not in like a negative way but you can find a rabbit hole of resources and Mm -hmm. um a few that I think have really helped me understand like my queerness were always like artists first and we both identify as creative. So I didn't know that like you could be successful and accepted even though you are uh, unconventional. And I just, I like grew up on like Prince and I grew up on, you know, Mm. Freddie Mercury and Queen and they were very like effeminate um, gender queer men or whatever. Um, I think about if you're more on like the political side and if you're a college student or if you're interested in Marxism, um, he talks about how gender, like getting rid of gender is actually a form of class consciousness because capitalists have designed this like war of the sexes or like gender constructs mm-hmm. to create inequality. So the second you like get rid of gender as a construct, you're able to unify workers. There's Pauline Hunt, who's also another author who I liked reading, who talked about like you can mobilize more people when they recognize that these labels were designed to make you hate and compete against each other. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's so many writers, there's so many like musicians, filmmakers. Um, there's so many social media people. There's, um, I don't want to mispronounce their name, but Alok, um, Alok Benin. Uh, they're like a South Asian kind of uh, genderqueer New York City based like icon. And mm-hmm. I would just say go on social media. Are there any people who helped you or like inspired you in terms of exploring that part of yourself um, that you could yeah. make name? Yeah, for sure. I think that when I think about it, I think when I was here the first, like my first, within my first year of being in New York, I went to the uh, Morgan Library mm. and there they had uh, Peter Huger who He's a famous black and white film photographer and he basically the whole collection was like documented around like the AIDS epidemic or and the work was very very interesting because it documented queerness when it was scarce and you know taboo and I think that in terms of like gender, like he documents it very interestingly in terms of uh, there was very much underground queer and trans representation that I feel like he documented. And I think witnessing it because I originally had such disdain about going to this particular location for some reason. 
And after I got there and witnessed the work, I think that it kind of changed a perspective for me on how I viewed uh, just being queer in general. Mm-hmm. And um, other people, I would say, like, especially like Cindy Sherman, of course, um, so many underground like black and white film photographers really have like inspired me to like have a different outlook because a lot of times they were documenting queer and trans issues but they're only just now being like showcased in museums and galleries and stuff so Mm -hmm. it's interesting to have that perspective especially like when I first came to New York because it was like I was seeing exactly like what I hadn't been seeing you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. I'd come from a cis white community Mm -hmm. and experiencing that level of queerness back at a time when it was so taboo and scarce and I know I said those words before but I think that the timing is was everything for me and witnessing what was documented in that time really like put everything into perspective especially with like how progressive we've come since then and even since I went and saw that like exhibit yeah I think that's like what the goal is for like younger people is to like come to these conclusions or maybe even like not conclusions but start that journey a lot sooner so that there's less to unpack and unheal when they're like older and so if you're listening and you're curious about that you did just get a bunch of recommendations from both Drew and I so maybe explore that enter that into the Google search engine but um thank you so much Drew I'm so glad that we got to have a chat about this and collect so much insight for people who maybe didn't know where to even start this conversation so I'm I'm really thankful for your time yeah thank you so much for uh having me (laughs) 